Hello and welcome back to the Sabbath School Quarterly Commentary Podcast. My name is Jared Chung and I am a Bible worker and chaplain at Tweed Valley Adventist College. I'm really excited to be sharing this lesson with you guys today and today we're going to be looking at lesson four talking about the flood. But before we do that, let's just start off with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father God, I just pray that as I present this and as we talk about your word, you'd be with us. Just continue to fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us to be able to see the truth that you want us to see in your word. God, we thank you so much for your creation and the things that you're doing in our lives, and I pray that in all things, we'd be able to keep you first. Now, as we open your word, I pray that you just continue to help us to see it with new eyes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today's lesson is looking at the story of the flood, and I think the flood is a story that we often hear about a lot, and we think that we're familiar with it, but when we go deeper and study into it, there's actually a lot of depth and richness in the details that we see throughout the story. I just want to start off with a verse, and that's Matthew 24, 37 to 38, and it says, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Recently in our area, I live in Merwollombah, and we had a really big flood. A lot of people lost their homes and the water actually went over our levee wall. And as I was walking around town, seeing all this damage from this flood, it made me think about this verse. Jesus tells us that at the end of time, there's going to be a lot of parallels with the story of the flood. And so I think it's really important to understand the story. And as we go through the lesson, we're going to see how something that seems destructive was actually an act of salvation and how this story parallels parts in our lives today. We're going to start off by reading the account of the flood, not the entire thing, but just the beginning. And we're going to start off in Genesis 6 and then verse 5. Says then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I think that is such a crazy verse. God looks out at the world, and man has fallen to such a place where every single thought of his heart was only evil. And so we actually jump down to verse nine, and it starts talking about Noah. And Noah is different to these other people. Says this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Yeah, it just says all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Every single living being was corrupted by sin. And we actually see the extent of this in the next verse. Verse 13, it says, And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now, I think something very significant from this is God isn't just angry at the way that things have gotten, and so he's just planning on wiping people out. He says, The end of all flesh has come before me. God saw that the wickedness of man was so enormous that every single thought of their heart was wicked and evil. And because of that, the earth was filled with violence. And he says that he saw the end of man before him. Humans were literally going to destroy themselves because of their sinfulness. And so God, in his mercy, actually had to come up with a plan to save humanity. And so we see what exactly that plan is when he talks to Noah. From verse 14 onwards, God begins to give Noah instructions for how to build this ark that's going to be saving them. He gives them very specific dimensions, very specific ways of building it. And then he tells him, Behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. 
but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. I think that there are a lot of really cool parallels in these verses. So I just wanted to point out something, and that's when we look at the sanctuary or the tabernacle, there's an Ark of the Covenant. And basically that Ark is a sign of God's presence in the midst of his people and points forward to God's work of salvation for his people. And I think something really interesting is that as we look at the flood story, there's an Ark here, and God actually makes a covenant with Noah. He makes a covenant with Noah, and this ark is something that is going to be able to save them. And when we go back to verse 8, the reason why this happened, it says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God had already given Noah grace. And then it was his faith to move forward and to build this ark and then to get on it that he was saved. And so here, like in the Old Testament, we clearly see that it's righteousness or salvation by grace through faith. And it's just so clear that God is always the one that initiates and he always has grace for us. It's by faith that we're able to reach out and accept that. Noah's obedience to God, his obedience to move forward and to build this ark and then to bring his family and get onto it, it was a response to God's grace. Noah had already found grace in the eyes of the Lord and his obedience was a response to this. And I think that oftentimes in our Christian walk, it's easy to hear the thought that, oh, you know, obedience that's actually being legalistic like you don't need to be obedient in order to be saved we see that's a completely wrong mindset we're obedient because we've been saved and it's be in response to god's grace that we are faithful and obedient to his commands and i think that is such a cool point that comes out of this let's move on to the next part where it actually talks about the event of the flood so we're going to start off in chapter 7 and it says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven of each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female, also seven each of the birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters were on the earth. So Noah, with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives, went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds, and of everything that creeps on the earth, two by two they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the earth were of the flood were on the earth. In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, the seventeenth day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was on the earth forty days and forty nights. The verses go on to talk about how Basically, the entire world is covered with these waters. The waters are going over every single mountain, the highest mountain, and all the things on the earth were wiped away in this flood. It says in verse 22, All in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the water prevailed on the earth 150 days. Now, I think something 
that really stands out from these verses is the parallels and in the common words and expressions that are found in the creation story. So you see the word like seven, male and female, after its kind, beasts, birds, creeping things, and breath of life. And there's so many parallels with the creation story. And I think that this echoes the creation story because it reveals that God is the one who creates and God is also the one that destroys. But in all the story, there's actually a message of hope. And that's the flood is designed to be a new creation. And then out of these flood waters is going to come new life and a new existence. I also think an interesting point that comes out of this is that in Genesis 1, we see that there's a separation of water from, you know, water below, water above. And the flood is this reunification of these waters back to each other. And this whole process is actually a very interesting and confusing message. And that's that God has to destroy what did exist in order to create something new. And this creation of the new earth requires the destruction of the old one. And so I think the event of the flood actually points forward to the future salvation of the world. And we see that in Revelation 21, where it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. God isn't just a God of destruction. God isn't just doing things in order to get rid of things that he doesn't like. The reason why God needs to destroy sometimes is so that way he's able to create a better and more beautiful creation. And in doing so, we're actually meant to be saved through it. The next day's lesson looks at the end of the flood, and we're going to be reading in Genesis chapter 8. It says in verse 1, Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. Now, whenever this verse as a kid, I used to think that God had actually forgotten about Noah and all the animals in the ark, and then eventually just, oh, I forgot about them, and then he remembers them, and then goes to take care of them. But when the Bible says that God remembers, it's actually talking about something very different. So God isn't forgotten about Noah. God doesn't forget about us. We see what does remembering look like? Because the God that remembers is a phrase that you hear throughout scripture. And it basically means God is the one that fulfills the promises that he makes. He doesn't forget about it. And this remembering is actually a process of him fulfilling these promises. So we see in verse 2, The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained, and the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the waters decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the 17th day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. So in the context of the flood, we see God remembering means that the water stopped and that Noah was able to leave the ark. God never forgets about us. In contrast to that, he actually is always thinking about us, and his remembrance is actually him fulfilling the promises that he made to us. And that's the promise of salvation. Wednesday and Thursday's lesson talk about the covenant, and we're going to be looking exactly at what this covenant was. So after Noah comes out of the ark, God has you know given them the bidding to leave the ark, and they all get out, and the very first thing that Noah does is build an altar. So we pick up in verse 20, chapter 8, verse 20, it says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took of every clean animal, and of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Now, just like Adam and Eve worshipped God on the very first day that they're created, Noah worshipped God immediately after the flood, which in itself was the creation event. There is a difference though. Adam and Eve were able to worship God directly. Noah had a sacrifice. And this is actually the first mention in scripture of an altar. And for Noah, this sacrifice was a thanksgiving offering. And I think that's really important. He did this offering as a thanksgiving in order to express his gratefulness to God who had saved him. And so the very first thing we see after the flood is that Noah gives thanks. 
We're going to keep on reading and see what God's response is. And so we're going to start in verse 21. It says, And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day or night shall not cease. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So after Noah has the sacrifice, God smells this aroma and his, he makes this commitment. He makes this commitment to preserve life. And we see that this is an act of grace. God sees the world and he sees human beings. And he says, even though the imagination of human hearts is evil ever since they're born, he's not going to destroy every living thing like he has done. And I think that's really amazing. God hasn't given up on his creation. Although we're fallen and we're sinful and God sees that, he hasn't given up on us. And so we are saying this covenant is one of grace. God has given grace and he's committing to saving us. In verses two to four, it brings up a very interesting point. And basically we see a shift in diet, which also um, relates to a shift in dominion. Now, what I mean by that is this is what God says to Noah. He says, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I've given you all things, even as the green herbs, but you shall not eat the flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Now we know that before in Eden, the ideal diet or the diet that God gave Adam and Eve was a vegetarian one based on plants. And you would never eat an animal because there is no death or killing in the garden. We see that after the flood, because there's no access to all these crops and plant food, God allowed humans to eat animal flesh. And I think this change actually generates a change in relationship with humans and animals. We know that before Adam had dominion over the animal kingdom, but now we see that animals start to have a fear of humans. And this is a post-flood world and animal, animals are starting to be killed by humans. And so that's actually going to start a relationship of fear between humans and animals. And I think that's really interesting, just seeing how sin affects our relationships, not only with each other, but with the creation God has given us. In saying this though, God actually gives some restrictions so not all animals were fit to eat. There's actually a very clear distinction that we saw earlier on when God distinguished between clean and unclean animals. The other thing was that God told them not to eat the animal's blood. And I think that from a very early stage in the Bible, we're starting to see the symbolism of blood being life. And we know that's so important because of the sanctuary system. And that's probably something that future um, lessons are going to be talking about. All right, back to the part about covenant. We're going to keep on reading in Genesis 9, verses 8 to 17. It says, Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is a sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. 
The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. Now, we see this word covenant is repeated many times, and it marks the climax and fulfillment of God's initial promise. We saw God promise that he was going to save humanity, even though it was going to have to be destroyed by a flood, he promised salvation. And now he's accomplished this and he reiterates this covenant that he is going to protect humanity or protect all of creation. And I think a really interesting thing about a rainbow is it can be seen all across the world. You go to China or you'll go to Africa, anytime there's rain or there's a cloud, you're going to see a rainbow afterwards. And we're told, Jesus tells us, or God tells us that the sign, this covenant is actually with all their descendants. And we know that all of us descended from Noah and his sons. And so this covenant applies to us. And like the Sabbath, the rainbow is something that happens all over the world. And it has a universal scope. It applies to everyone. And I think this is a really cool, just a little cool fact that I've thought about. I actually am really into archery. And so I've done a couple years of archery. I'll have my own recurve bow. And when you think of a rainbow, there's a curve in it. And just like a regular archery bow, there's a certain way that you hold it in order to shoot. And so if you're thinking of a bow as a weapon or something to cause harm, the bow, the way it's situated, it goes away from earth. And if you draw a string in the middle, that means that the bow is never going to be fired at earth. Just like how God promises that he's never going to destroy the earth um, with a flood again. I think what's also interesting in this covenant is that God promises that he's going to protect humanity. He's not going to destroy humanity regardless of how sinful it is. He has this commitment to preserve them. And we see that if this bow is not pointed to earth, it's pointed to heaven. And the one who ultimately pays the price for that is God. And I think that's just such a really cool, amazing detail that God has created. Now, maybe I'm reading it too much because I like archery, but it's just amazing how God has continued to work on our behalf and God just continues to do everything for us. Like he continues to intercede for us. He sent Christ for us and without him, we wouldn't be able to have salvation. In this lesson, we've looked at the preparation for the flood event itself and the aftermath, and we see all throughout it, God was faithful to his people. He wanted to preserve humanity, even though he saw the wickedness and the sin and the destruction that was going to be happening. And I think something really important is that we're in a very similar situation. I'd say, based on scripture, we're told that we're in a very similar situation to the pre-flood world. Human wickedness, it's not something new. You just look at the news and you see that sin is a principle that controls people. And there's this Ellen White quote that I want to read. It says, The sins that called for vengeance upon the antediluvian world exist today. The fear of God is banished from the hearts of men, and his law is treated with indifference and contempt. The intense worldliness of that generation is equaled by that of the generation now living. We know from scripture that we're living in the last days. And just know we have a responsibility to work for the salvation of others. God has shown us a plan of salvation. It's based on his grace. And we are called to spread that message to the world. This time, it's not going to be a physical ark, but it's going to be a relationship, a true and genuine relationship with Jesus, the only one who's able to save us. We've been called to share the gospel with the world. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The same God, who at the very beginning of the Bible, didn't want the world to end, 
and made a way for Noah and his family to be saved, also wants the salvation of the people around us. We have an amazing message of an amazing God who loves us so much that he's willing to lay down everything for us. And we need to spread that message to the world. And I think that as we reflect on God's covenant and God's love for us, it's going to be his love for us that motivates and compels us to spread that gospel to the rest of the world. There are so many interesting points that we could get out of this lesson, but I need to wrap it up here. And so I'll just say a word of prayer to end. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just want to thank you so much for your grace and your love towards us. You don't want us to perish. You want all to be saved. And I pray that we would be able to do the work that you have called us to do in spreading your gospel to the world. God, we know that you have a plan of salvation that's beautiful and amazing. And I pray that we would be able to share that with the people around us. Thank you so much for your grace and for your love for us. And I pray that we would be able to reflect that to other people. In Jesus we pray. Amen. All right. I hope you enjoyed this podcast or this commentary, and I hope that you tune in for next week's one.